Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recorded live.
Thank <laughs> you. 
Okay, let's go in prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, Almighty, we praise and worship you, Father, this day. Praise and worship you. Give you all honor, respect, and praise. Thank you for your mercy and your grace, your your light upon us, light upon our path, direction, and guidance in all things. Thank you for this music. Thank you for these songs. Thank you for your inspiration, your spirit, the working of your spirit. We ask, Father, that your spirit continue to work in this service, in this broadcast, that you be blessed, that you be worshipped, your people be edified, that your people grow in understanding, grow in your spirit, grow in your will, Lord. Grow in relationship with you, Father. Come to know you more. Live for you more. Live for you closer, Lord. Live for you more clean, more holy, as the saints of God. Pray, Father, for your anointing, your special anointing on the sermon on this message, on this service, on this broadcast, that all hindrances be made void and null in Jesus Christ's name. We take power and authority over all the plots and counsels of the enemy. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. And every false and lying tongue and condemning tongue against us shall be condemned. For this is the heritage of the saints of God, and our righteousness is in you, Lord. We praise your holy name, Almighty God, in Jesus. So, Amen. Praise God. Are you listening to the live seventh day services of? I saw the Light Ministries, also known as the Ecclesia of Theos, the Greek words for Church of God. We are non-denominational, and this is a live broadcast coming from Eastern Tennessee. We're going to be starting in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, and for the record, today's date is July the 9th, 2016, July 9th, 2016 A.D., in the year of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in God's created calendar is the fifth day of the fourth month. Fifth day of the fourth month. And today's topic is what does the word almighty mean? Last week, we talked about the words alpha and omega, what those words mean. And this week, we're going to go into some detail to the word almighty. What does almighty mean? In Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, reading from the New American Standard Bible, Revelation 1, verse 8. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, What does the word almighty 
mean? A lot of times we read over these verses and we don't stop and really think about it or study into these words. I believe it's important to understand what these words mean. In verse 8 here, Revelation 1 verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega. We talked about those two words last week in detail. And it says, the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. What does that word Almighty mean? Well, it is the Greek word in Strong's Concordance, uh, referring to the Greek Strong's Concordance word 3841. Greek 3841. Pantocrator. Something like that. I know I'm not saying it completely right. That pantocrota, or crotor. And that is two words combined. Almighty. The first word, all, is 2904. No, I'm, I'm sorry. Is uh, first word is 3956. Okay? So all together is 3841. But it's a combo of two words, all, is 3956, which is PAS, P-A-S. So don't jump to a conclusion about the first part of the word because when you first see the word all together, Almighty, 3841, Panta Crota, you may think, oh, no, the first three letters is PAN. And a PAN we know as uh, another word for Baal or Satan. It's an Islamic God. But when we break it down to what two words does this word come from, it actually comes from P-A-S, not P-A-N. So it's not the pan God, but rather it's the word for all, all accomplishing, every, each, any, every, the whole. So it's not pagan. And then the last part of it is 2904, uh, K-A-R-A-T-O-S. I mean Again, that's 2904, K-R-A-T-O-S, which means power, dominion, strength, force. Power, dominion, strength, dominion, or force. So he's saying, I am all power, all dominion, all strength, and all force, and also, yes, strength. Now, we know that phrase of Philippians 4.13, that I can do all things through him who strengthens me, or through God who strengthens me, through Jesus Christ. So let's look at that, Philippians 4.13 for a minute here. Philippians 4, verse 13. Philippians is right before Colossians, right after Ephesians. Philippians 4, verse 13.
Philippians 4, verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Almighty means all strength. And since he is the source of all strength, if we go through him, we can do all things. Even greater works shall you do. Amen. So, and get through things. Get through our valleys. Get through our struggles. And accomplish the things that we are allotted and anointed to do. It says, nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. Scriptures tell us that if we share in his sufferings, in his afflictions, then we should also suffer, I mean also share in his glory, share in his power, share in his dominion, his authority. That Matthew 28, let's look there, Matthew 28, how that he has all power, and therefore he... uh, uh, designates for us to go forth in that power. Matthew 28, verse 18. Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority, again that word almighty means all power, all dominion, all strength, all force and we could add the word authority because it does mean that all authority all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth go therefore and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name in my name teaching them to observe all that I command you. And lo, I am with you always, to the, even to the end of the age, or in, to the end of the world. So he has that power. And through that power, he delegates it to us to go forth in that same power, in that same spirit. We are the hands and feet and mouth eyes and ears of the Lord God Almighty. We are his body here on this earth. He dwells in us. He lives in us. So he is walking within us, living within us. Amen. So this word here for all nations is referring not only to the uh, Jews, but also to the Gentiles, amen, making disciples, making Christians, making followers of Jesus Christ in all races of people, both Israelite and Gentile, in my name, baptizing them in my name. Not, not teaching them how to pray a prayer of salvation, but baptizing them, baptizing them. That is how that we go make disciples. That is how we go make new Christians, new followers, is by 
baptizing people. It's not by not by teaching them remember this prayer and teach other people the same prayer. Like Babylon claims, but rather baptize them. Amen. Through the crucifixion and resurrection. There is no crucifixion and resurrection in a prayer. There is no crucifixion and resurrection in a prayer. But there is crucifixion and resurrection in baptism. Amen. Praise God. Words are words. But action (laughs) is action. Amen. Are you willing to get wet for the Lord? Are you willing to get completely submerged in God? rather than a mere belief. Amen. Are you willing to slide on that ring that says, I do, I am engaged to you, I will be there at the marriage supper of the Lamb of God. I will not stand you up. I will not leave you. I will not depart from you. I am engaged engaged to you. That is what baptism says. You can say all that in words and a prayer, but until you go under that water and commit yourself to action, being a doer of the word and not a hearer only, amen. Now, this same Jesus said in Revelation over and over, I am the Almighty. Amen. That yet we know that he walked on earth in the form, in the image, in the appearance of a man of human flesh, died on the cross and resurrected. He died, even though that he is God. He died in the form of an image of a man. He came, he left heaven, the Bible says. The Bible says that he left heaven to come to dwell among us in the flesh. That he became flesh. The word, that the word became flesh, John 1 says. So he humbled himself and became a servant. The Bible says, the scriptures proclaim, that he became a servant. God did. Even though he is king, even though he is almighty, he became a humble servant in the human flesh in order to show his love, in order to save us, to rescue us, to deliver us from death, from sin, from the lake of fire, from the enemy, from rebellion, from all the devil's plots, Look at 
Colossians chapter 2. Colossians, we was close to it a while ago. Colossians 2, right after Philippians, and right before Thessalonians. Colossians chapter 2, right before Thessalonians. Colossians 2, verse 15. Colossians 2, verse 15. Look at verse 14. Verse 14, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us. What that means is has nothing to do with nailing old law on the cross. Has nothing to do with that. Has everything to do with canceling out our debt of death Nailing death to the cross, nailing our punishment to the cross, that even though we are guilty, even though we have sinned and are guilty, the decree against us is you must die. You have sinned, you have transgressed the law, you must die. But Jesus, the Almighty, the Father, the Creator, God, said, but you have sinned because the enemy entrapped you. The enemy deceived you. The enemy tempted you. And you was weak and failed. The enemy kidnapped you, took you away from me, led you astray. You have been led astray. But because you did return to me and you did confess your sin and you did believe in me as God that I'm not a mere man, but that I am your Father, that loved you so much that I left the glory of heaven and put myself in the form of a human. I put myself in the form of clay, water, dirt, dust. I put myself in your place on the cross and died in your place and committed the ultimate one time Eternal sacrifice for your sins. You no longer have to kill a goat or a sheep or a bull or a ram. You don't have to slaughter the animals anymore for a symbolism of my death. I have now come to fulfill this. I am the fullness thereof of your salvation. Animals no longer have any part at all in your salvation. You no longer have to worry about clean and unclean meats or circumcision because I am the Lamb of God. He says, basically, this is what God says through his death. Well, his birth, his life, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection. And the receipt 
of his Holy Ghost. This is what God says to us. And it says here that he put those decrees, that guilty judgment was counseled out. I pardon you. I redeem you. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed that judgment of death to the cross. Verse 15, when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, talking about Satan, talking about the fallen angels, the demons, talking about all the traps and ensnares and sins and temptations against us, he disarmed them. Because they have many weapons against us. But no weapon formed against us shall prosper. But they have many weapons and plots and counsels and ensnares and traps against us. But he disarmed those wicked rulers of principalities. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities spirits in high places, rulers of darkness. He disarmed those through the blood, through the cross. If we claim the blood, plead the blood, and live in his spirit as crucified and resurrected saints in Jesus Christ. If we are living as resurrected, crucified, and resurrected saints, walking with his ghost within us, allowing him to live and walk within us. We were dead, but now we are alive. With power and with authority. He put that evil authority is canceled out. And he made a public display, it says here. He made a public display of them. Having triumphed over them. Through him. Amen. Through Jesus Christ, we have this victory against sin. And by coming as a servant, as a friend, as a rescuer, as a deliverer, he defeated the enemy by making a public display that even though I am God Almighty, I am not such a God as to be proudful and wrong and evil. No. He is none of those things. He is not unjust. He is not wrong. But the devil wants to always accuse God, falsely accuse God. The devil always wants to falsely accuse God and try to make God out to be unfair and unjust. But God proved the devil wrong when he came in the form of man with ten toes, ten fingers, when he came in the form of a servant to where he himself could feel the pain and be tempted in every way as we are, the devil no longer has any excuse. Sinners and the wicked people 
who refused to live for God and throw all these false accusations against him, they have no real evidence. They have no real and true witness. They have no real and true case against God. It is all false accusations. God says that he is God, he is a jealous God, and he is all-powerful, and he is almighty, that he is in control, that he is righteous and true and just because all those statements are true statements. And there is plenty of evidence, witnesses, and testimony proving this to be true. And the greatest witness and the greatest testimony that God is true, that God is just, that God is almighty, that God is deserving and worthy of our worship. He is worthy. The greatest proof of this is his death and resurrection, even his birth even his life, even 30-some years that he lived here as a man in the flesh. Amen. Praise God. Every second that he dwelt in the flesh was proof that he is not the evil God that the devil and the sinners and the wicked try to make him out to be. He is truly the Almighty who is in control because he is righteous to be so. That he is over all dominions, over all power. And here he made a public display over and above and is in in defeat of those other powers, those that would rebel. The devil rebelled. The fallen angels rebelled. Mankind everywhere is is rebelling. What's happening in Dallas, Bristol, Missouri, Georgia, New York, Washington, D.C., and across the world right now is Wolfen Rebellion. It is Lucifer. It is all the fallen angels and their children. All the children of the wicked one, all the sinners, all the wicked people who refuse to submit to God. It is open rebellion time. But when we confess our sins and surrender to God and say, I will follow you, I will be baptized. And we are crucified with Christ and resurrected with Christ and become a new man. We are no longer under that rebellion. But rather we join in with this victory. We join in with this victory and we make a public display, a public display of baptism, a public display of victory against the temptation and sin that once enslaved us. We are delivered. We are redeemed. We are set free from the enemy's traps, snares and deceptions and lies and false accusations. Amen.
Jesus is worthy of all worship and of all praise. He is a just and true God. Just and true King. He is the Almighty. Amen. He is the Almighty. He defeated the rulers of darkness. He is King of kings, Lord of lords, the Almighty, the Creator, the Father, amen, who created all things. And all powers will be made subject to Him and are subject to Him and will be brought forth into subjection to Him. Right now, they're still in rebellion. Most of the world is still in rebellion, but ultimately, ultimately, all things, even death itself, will be brought under subjection. Amen. They have been conquered and will be conquered. Amen. Now, this word almighty appears in the New Testament only in Revelation repeatedly, except for one other place. And the other place is 2 Corinthians 6. So let's look at 2 Corinthians 6. Two Corinthians six verse eighteen. Two Corinthians six verse eighteen says And I will be a father to you, and you should be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Same Greek word there. Let's get some of the context, starting in verse 14. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14 to 18. Verse 14 says, Paul says, Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship with light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with bond? This is why we should not be yoked with the Democrat Party. Amen. This is why we should not be yoked with those who are among the anti-police, anti-law, anti-authority protesters. Amen. We should not be bound together with the unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Baal? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God, us, with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. It doesn't say anything about another temple being built. Just as God said, I will dwell in them. Now, who dwells in us? 
Jesus does. Read John 14. Jesus dwells in us. But God said this. Right here it proves that Jesus is God. I would dwell in them and walk among them. Who walked among us? John 1, he became flesh. Dwelt in us. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Referring to Revelation 21 and 22, where it's clearly talking about Jesus. Verse 17, therefore come out from their midst and be separate. Talking about come out from the rebellious. Come out from the lawless, from the wicked, from the sinners. And that includes Babylon, because if they're not keeping the seventh day, or the holy days, or communion, or baptism, they are lawless. Amen. Come out from their churches. Come out from their gatherings, for they are gathered together in protest against me, saith the Lord God Almighty. They are there on their Sunday churches, Sunday morning, in protest against the seventh day, against my laws and my ways, saith the Lord God Almighty. And it says here, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. It's not talking about food. It's talking about sin. Do not sin. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters to me, saith the Lord Almighty. Now, this same Greek word is in the Greek Saturian and the Apotica. It is used in the book of Judith and 2 and 3 Maccabees. If you've not yet read the book of Judas, 1, 2, 3, and 4 Maccabees, and the other books of the Apotica that were at one time part of the Bible but were taken out of most Bibles now, I encourage you, urge you, and beseech you to please read the Apotica. I'm not talking about those satanic books of the book of Enoch and Jasper because they are satanic. Yes, there was at one time such books, but the books that are floating around now called Jasper or Jasper and the book of Enoch are purely satanic and totally contrary to scripture. And the fruit of those books is nothing but deception, darkness, and demonic possession. I warn you against those. But there are books that are holy that we know for sure was at one time part of the Bible. It was even in the 1611 King James. And they were in the Greek Statutian. They have this same Greek word for 
Almighty. Like I said, in Judas and two or three Maccabees, maybe other places too. And there's another place, many places in the Bible, that we don't have time to turn to every place that it appears. But let's turn to Job chapter 5. Job chapter 5. And of course, Job is before the book of Psalms. Job 5, verse 17. Job 5, verse 17 says, Behold, how happy is the man, amen, whom God reproves, corrects. So do not despise the discipline of the Almighty. Amen. To whom he inflicts pain and gives gives relief, his wounds and his hands also heal. Amen. He is the Almighty. Now let's look at Jeremiah chapter 3. Jeremiah chapter 3. And that's right after Isaiah. Jeremiah 3. Jeremiah 3, verse 19, New American Standard, says, Then I said, How I would set you among my sons and give you a pleasant land, this is God speaking, the most beautiful inheritance of the nations. And I said, You shall call me my father and shall and not turn away from following me. This is a prophecy of eventual Subjection of the people surrendering to God, actually turning to God, staying with God. This is a a future projection prophecy of perhaps the thousand years or the hundred years or perhaps even talking about new heaven, new earth. Uh, But I want to point out something here is that the Greek Situdian, the Bible that Jesus and the apostles actually used, 
has the words here in front of the word nations, has some words that King James, New American Standard and NIV and all the modern translations leave out the words Almighty Theos, Almighty God. So I'm going to read this verse to you from the Greek Saturnian. Greek Saturnian, verse 19 says, And I said, So be it, Lord, for thou sayest, I will set thee among children and will give thee a choice land the inheritance of the almighty God of the Gentiles. And I said, you should call me Father, and you should not turn away from me. To make it very easily, you just need to insert in front of the word nations, almighty theos of the, almighty theos of the nations. And that word nations can be translated Gentiles, uh, possibly. I would have to look more into that. The Greek Saturnian Britain translation translates it as Gentiles. Uh, but we need to put that word Almighty Theos back in there. Man has taken it out. It does not appear in the Syrian aromatic text. King James comes from the Syrian aromatic text. And unfortunately, when they did the New American Standard, even though they do, they do use the Greek Saturnian for some of their, and a lot of their translation, they must have overlooked this, but it's very easy to overlook. And it's not based enough on the Greek Saturnian. New American Standard is influenced by the Greek Saturnian much more than King James, but it's not totally based upon the Greek Saturnian enough as much as it should be. And this is why I've been working on the Alpha and Omega Bible, which is based more so on the Greek Saturnian, uh, because we need to replace these words that were taken out. Amen. The Almighty Theos of the nations. So understanding here that it should say Almighty Theos, Almighty God, and it's God talking, and he says, I said you should call me my father. Amen. And not turn away from following me. That we should dwell and abide in him and not forsake him. Now let's look at context some more. Going back to verse 1, reading from verse 1 up to verse 19. And Theo says, If a husband divorces his wife and goes from him, she goes from him and belongs to another man, and he will he still return to her? Will not that land be completely polluted? But you are a harlot with many lovers, yet you turn to me, declares G, J-E-H. So, in other words, we have went, uh, or the people, 
Israel, Judah, the Israelites, the people of the land, all nations, they have went to other gods, to the Assyrian gods. Defiled themselves, committed adultery, and then come back to their original husband, to the bridegroom, to Jesus Christ. Now, God wants us to come back, but that's nasty, right? She has already laid with another man. That brings defilement back to him. He would rather for us to stay clean. Amen. Not leave him in the first place. Not commit adultery. Verse 2, lift up your eyes to the bare heights and see. Have you, where have you not been violated by the roads you have set for them like an Arab in the desert and you have polluted a land with your hardity and with your wickedness. Therefore the shires have been withheld and there has been no spring rain. Yet you had a harlot's forehead. You refused to be ashamed. So it's in our minds, in our foreheads, the mark of the beast or the mark of God. Whichever. We serve either God or the Antichrist. Verse 4. Have you not just now called to me, my father? You are the friend of my youth. In other words, the people call out to God only in time of trouble. Only when they finally been brought down to their knees. Only when they finally realize all this. Just now, call to me, my father, that you are friend of my youth. Will he be angry forever? Will he be in it, indignant to the end. Behold, you have spoken and have done evil things and you have had your way. You've been rebellious. You've gone your own way rather than following me. We're supposed to be followers of Jesus. Then the Lord said to me, or the J.E.H. said to me originally, it said, said to me in the days of Joshua the king, have you seen what faithless Israel did? She went up on every high mountain and under every green tree. And she was a harlot there. In other words, she went to the Assyrian gods and Babylonian gods, which was the Christmas tree and Easter and Christmas and so forth. I thought after she has done all these things, she will return to me. But she did not return. They were going to continue and continue and continue in their sin. That's why he had to bring the captivity. They were not returning. He sent Jeremiah. He sent Isaiah. He sent others. Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, and others. And they still not returned. They didn't return. They wasn't going to return. Just like it is today. 
America is not and will not return until after the captivity. That is the lawlessness and rebellion of the people. Chastisement, judgment is needed. But she did not return. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. So he's talking about Israel, the northern tribes. And then Judah, the southern tribes, saw it. Verse 8. And I saw that all the adulteries of faithless Israel had sent her away and given her a right, a writ, a right man of divorce. God divorced Israel. God, did you know this? That God got divorced. According to the Bible. But he had, he was righteous in it. She was guilty. He was righteous. Gave her a right of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear. You know why? She had that mentality of once saved, always saved. Amen. Judah should have been like, oh no, look what happened to Israel. They've been taken captive to Assyria. But Judah didn't say that. Judah did not fear. Judah was like, we are God's people. We are safe and secure. Captivity and invasion will not come to us like it did then. We are saved. We have always, we, we were saved. God did deliver us and we're still saved and judgment will not come. This is the attitude of the one state, always saved people. This is the attitude of America today and most of the world and all sinners. That they see judgment coming to other people, but no, it won't come to me. Did not fear. But she went and was a harlot also. Verse 9. Because of the lightness of her hardology, meaning that she took it very lightly, she was not serious. She polluted the land and committed adultery with stones and trees. In other words, she committed spiritual adultery against God by the worshiping of stones and trees. Muslims are worshiping the black stone of Mecca, and the Muslim Baptists and Muslim Catholics and the Muslim the Islamic Muslim uh, denominations of so-called Christianity, they are worshiping the Christmas tree, the Assyrian Christmas tree. 
same thing today. Nothing new under the sun. Same problems and same sins today as it was in the time of Jeremiah. Yet in spite of all this, her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with all of her heart, but rather in deception, declares G, J-E-H. That's how it was originally written. The best of my knowledge. Did not return with me to me with all of her heart, only with words, but not action. Verse eleven, and G said to me, Faithful as Israel has proved herself more righteous than treacherous Judah. Those that had been taken away in the first captivity was more righteous than this other captivity that's about to come. This Judah had the opportunity of repenting. This Judah saw the captivity coming to the northern tribes. She should have been like, repentive. She should have been repentive. Her evil was greater because of having that longer time frame to repent and having the example of judgment and chastisement. She could have repented and did not. Verse 12, go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, return, faithless Israel, declares G, Jesus, G. I will not look upon you in anger, for I am gracious, declares G. So she says, he says to Israel, the northern tribes, that I am merciful. I am merciful. Return to me. I still love you. My arm is still stretched out all day. I created you. You are my children, even though you have gone astray. I've punished you. I've sent you to Assyria. Surely you are repenting now. And it says here in verse 13, only acknowledge your iniquity. And that's what a lot of people will not do. And that is one of the hugest, most huge problems that we have in the so-called church, in people who claim to be saved, in people who are claiming to be seeking, people who claim to know the truth or have the truth, people who go to church, people who read the Bible, people who pray every day, the greatest mountain yet to be climbed that has not yet been achieved in the church is acknowledging our sins. I've seen this so much, so very much. It's a huge problem in the so-called church. I'm not talking about Babylon either. I'm talking about those who think that they're truly saved, those that have come out of Babylon. But yet they're still filled with sin and not acknowledging their iniquity. 
but only acknowledge your iniquity, your lawlessness. They have transgressed against G, your God. J-E-H-H is silent. Your God, your Theos. Again, proving Jesus as God. God with us. G with us. Confess your sins. He is faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness that we have to confess. We have to confess. I did wrong. And the people that go to the Sunday churches, they are not confessing. They're still in the midst of their sin. They're still in the midst of their rebellion against the Ten Commandments. They have to come to the point of saying and confessing, realizing, comprehending, and then confessing and repenting of their worship of the Assyrian Christmas tree and of Assyrian Easter and Assyrian Sunday morning worship and of Halloween horror movies and everything else. They have to repent or else they will stay in captivity and go to captivity until the real and true repentance come. And it says here that you have transgressed against your God and have scattered your favors to the strangers under evergreen tree. For you have not obeyed my voice declares G. Verse 14, Return, O faithless sons, declares G, for I am a master to you. That word almighty means master. The word almighty means all power, all dominion, ruler and master. Amen. Almighty means all power, all dominion, all strength, all rule, all authority, master, that he is master, that he is God. Amen. I am a master to you, and I will take you, one, from a city, and two, from a family, and I will bring you to Zion. In other words, repent, and I will bring you out of the captivity, gather you under my wings, be a father to you, feed you, take care of you, be a good father and master to you. I will bring you out of those nations and return you to Zion. Amen. Praise God. I am a Zionist. I am a Zionist. That word is not evil. The internet have lied. The internet lies and says that Zion is evil. And those that support Zion is evil. The Zionists are evil. But all that word Zionist means, all it means is that you believe 
in the right for Zion to exist, for the right of Israel to exist, that that land belongs to God, to have a right to a nation that is governed by the scriptures, they have a right to it, they have a right to that land, and a right to live and to prosper. And that God's people will be returned to that land. More than just the Jewish tribes that we see right now. But rather, even America. Even the British Commonwealth. Australia. New Zealand. South Africa. Will be returned. To our rightful land. You know what? Americans are an occupying force in this land of the Gentiles, of the Native American Indians. We are an occupying force here. But Zion is where we came from. Zion is where we descended from. The Israelites, the Americans, the British Commonwealth. And the regathering of the Israelites is not for the Jews only, but also for the Australians, the South Africans, the British, and the Americans. But our land is not a mere size of New Jersey like it is over there now, but our land encompasses the entire Middle East. Syria and ISIS claims it for their own, but they are liars, for it belongs to us. It belongs to us, and we need to reclaim all the land that God has given us, far beyond the Golan Heights. The land of Syria belongs to the Christians, the true Christians. The land of Lebanon, the land of Jordan, the land of Saudi Arabia, the land of Turkey, the land of Iran, it belongs to us. And we're going to take it back by force, by the military of the army of God. Amen. And I know who the general is. The captain of hosts is Jesus Christ. We're going to retake the land of Zion. We are. You will. I will. We are the army of the Lord. And we need to get a desire to retake the land of Zion. I didn't know I was going to preach this today. But the Lord God is real. And he is king of Zion. Amen. We have not come to occupy a land the size or smaller than New Jersey. But we have come to occupy all the Middle East and all the world under the Lord God Almighty, 
who has given us even more than the Middle East, the all the world, we shall inherit all things. Under the name of Jesus Christ, under the children, as children of God, if we shall be children of God, then we shall inherit all things through Jesus Christ. Romans 8. That we shall inherit the universe, the galaxies, the solar systems. The Muslims claim all that for their own. The Christians don't. Christians do not claim their land. Christians are satisfied with a corner, a back seat, a dungeon. The Muslims do claim the universe. And it's about time we take back our birthright as the children of Jacob. And if you are Gentile, you can be adopted in the Israelite family and embraced and partake in our laws, our ways, and our God in the ways of our God. For our God is not a stranger to the Gentile, but a light to the Gentile. He is a light to the Gentile, a beacon, a lighthouse, a shining light to all nations and to all the world. And we are to go to all the world, making disciples of all nations and usher in the kingdom of God upon this entire planet. And we will not be satisfied with the land of Judah. We will not be satisfied with the land of the Middle East. But the followers of Jesus Christ would dominate the world and not the Muslims. Amen. The communist empires will fall. The Islamic empires will fall. Assad's empire will fall. America will fall. Iran will fall. Syria will fall. All the nations of this world will fall. Eventually, Russia and China will fall. And the only nation and the only kingdom and the only empire that will be standing in the end will be the kingdom of the Almighty Father, Jesus. And we shall be his kings and his priests and shall reign on this earth as the center of the universe. The Lord Jesus Christ. is our king. He is the almighty father. Amen. Praise God. Return unto me, saith the Lord God almighty. Praise God. God is God. And his name is Jesus. God with us. He dwells among us. Speak to us. Lead us, guide us, direct us. Our Father, our Creator, the Almighty God above all power, above all domain, He is in control. Above all dominions and all powers, making a open display of them, triumphing over them openly. Amen. Praise God. He is the captain of hosts. Yes, He is. 
the captain of hosts. Let's look at the book of Joshua, chapter 5. Joshua, chapter 5. Joshua is right there after Deuteronomy and right before Judges. Joshua, chapter 5, verse 10. Praise the Lord, Father God, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Joshua 5, verse 10. <clears throat> verse 10, going down all the way to chapter 6, verse 4. 5.10, all the way down to 6, verse 4. Verse 10 says, While the sons of Israel camped at Gilgal, they observed the Passover on the evening of the 14th day, not talking about the evening before, but the evening within that day of the 14th of the month, the first month, on the desert plains of Jericho. And on the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes, because the next day we know is unleavened bread for seven days, and parched grain. The manna ceased on the day after they had eaten some of the produce of the land, so that the sons of Israel no longer had manna. They had, they had had it every day, quail and manna every day, for 40 years. But on this day, the quail and the manna ceased. But they ate some of the yield of the land of Canaan during that year. They were starting to eat of the land. They were starting to eat of the land of milk and honey. They were starting to receive some of their promises. They were starting to receive Verse 13, now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho before they conquered Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold a man that looked like a man was standing opposite of him with his sword drawn out in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries or enemies? And he said, no, rather, I indeed come now as captain or general of the host, army, or multitudes, or army of Jesus. He said to Joshua, I am captain of the army of Jesus. That's God. This is God. This is Jesus appearing to look like a man. Jesus has appeared to look like a man many times over the history of the earth. But he was only born as a man once, only died as a man once, only resurrected as a man once. But he walked on earth many times, even as King Mekhaziak. And here, as the captain of the army of God, and Joshua fell on his face to the ground, to the earth, bowed down and said to him, What has my Lord to say to his servant? What do you have to say to me, God? And the captain of Jehovah's host said to Joshua, 
Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. Praise God Almighty. That is what God said to Moses. Is what Jesus said to Moses. This was not a mere man. This was not a mere human. It was God appearing to Joshua, speaking to Joshua in person. Remove the sandals from your feet. For the place where you are standing is holy. I believe that there are times that we come into such an intense presence of God that we should remove our shoes, even our socks. We serve the same God today. We serve the same God today. He changes not. He is holy. And even the ground that he is standing on is holy. Notice here, the ground was not shaking. There was no lightning. There was no thunder. There was no speaking in tongues. But there was a presence of God that was so holy that he should remove the sandals from his feet. We know he obeyed. We should also obey. When we come into that intense presence of God. Amen. The Muslims do it. The Muslims do it. The Muslims have more honor and more respect for their demonic, satanic God than what Christians do for our true, almighty God. I believe that we need to come to the point of humility, of servitude, of honor and respect to our Father, to our God, to our Captain and our host. But we need to come to the point to where we are barefoot when we are in worship services. Because that this place is holy unto the Lord. That this that there is a presence of God here this day. And that is why my wife and I are barefoot today. Because this room, this sanctuary is holy ground. And the Lord is present. And we recognize him for who he is. Captain of the host. Father God almighty. Almighty God. Almighty God. Almighty God. He is not stone. He is not a tree. He is real. He's not even human. He is worthy of all worship, not half-heartedness, but total surrender. By removing our shoes, we say, I surrender. I'm your slave. I'm your servant. I'm your child. I am your children. I am your son. I am your daughter. I submit myself to the king. 
That is what that says to him. Notice Joshua bowed down to the ground to him. The Christians today are too proudful for that. But Muslims bow to their Satan God. The Christians are too proudful in a worship service to bow down to the Almighty God. I say to you, the so-called Christian church needs to get saved. The so-called Christian church needs to return unto the Lord. The so-called Christian church needs to put on sackcloth and ashes and humble ourselves and put our forehead to the ground and take our socks and shoes off. We need to start totally surrendering ourselves to God and show Him how much that we truly love, honor, worship, and serve Him. He is God. He is God Almighty. Amen. And it says here in the last part of verse 15, and Joshua did so. He didn't say, oh, but my feet is dirty. Or I'm embarrassed or I'm ashamed for this or that. He didn't give no excuse or resistance. He did so. Verse 1 says, Now Jericho was tightly shut because of the sons of Israel. No one went out, no one came in. And Jesus said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with his king and the valiant warriors. Jesus told Joshua, These men in the land of Jericho, they're strong, they're brave, They're good warriors, and they have good fortunes, but I give them into your hands. I give you their king into your hands. I give you their land into your hands. I give them, I give their warriors into your hands. God Almighty is above these kings, this fortress, that army. Jesus is not only the captain of hosts of Israel, but of all the earth. And the Bible says repeatedly that all the earth and all the inhabitants thereof are his. He is almighty, above all powers, above all kings, king of kings, Lord of lords. This is what the word almighty means. Never again should you pass over that word so lightly without really understanding how encompassing it is that it's a powerful word. Almighty is a powerful word. Almighty is a powerful word. Amen. Powerful word. Amen. I give it into your hands. 
Verse 3. You shall march around the city, all the men of war circling the city once. You shall do so for six days, and seven priests shall carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. Then on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And it shall be that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout. This is a foreshadowing of the seven trumpets during the seventh seal, seven circles and seven trumpets, the seven seals and the seven trumpets of the book of Revelation in our day and in our time. And the great shout is that seventh trumpet when it says he shall come with a shout. Amen. Praise God. And the wall of that city, talking about Babylon, talking about Rome or Mecca, wherever it is, will fall. Babylon is fallen. Babylon is fallen. Revelation 18. Praise God. All Old Testament prophecy, or mostly all Old Testament prophecy, foreshadows end time prophecy. The city shall fall flat, and the people go up every man straight ahead. We shall take that land of Jericho. We shall take that land of Babylon. We shall take that land of Rome. We shall take that land of Mecca. We shall take that land of Etobu. We shall take all the Middle East and all the earth and be kings and priests under God Almighty, King of kings, Lord of lords. He rules the earth. The earth belongs to him. We are his subjects. We are his mighty warriors. And the victory is ours. It is close. It is so close. It is so close. But we should not be like those that were afraid to take it and therefore cause a delay of 40 years for everybody. We should not be like those unbelievers. We should not be like those fearful. But rather we should have a taste, a thirst, a desire for the kingdom of God. We should no longer be satisfied with just America. We should no longer be satisfied with just the Middle East. The Muslims, the Muslims were not satisfied with it. The Muslims have a thirst to conquer the world, the whole world, and dominate the whole world. That is Satan's thirst. We should have a thirst to be totally surrendered to God, that God's will be accomplished, that the whole earth be filled with righteousness that the whole earth be filled with the kingdom of God, the kingdom of righteousness. Even as King Akeziak means king of righteousness. We should have a thirst for the kingdom of God to come to all the earth. We should no longer be satisfied with communism, Buddhism, Hinduism. We should no longer be satisfied with any of the religions of this earth or any of the politics of this earth or any of the governments of this earth that we should seek the kingdom of God and seek it first. Amen. We should seek the kingdom of God first. Amen. Let us set our priorities and what is our greatest priority is the kingdom of God that I may behold the Lord and see the Lord in his temple in heaven, that I may be there for the marriage supper of the Lamb of God.
praise the Lord Jesus Christ, to behold the beauty of the Lord, to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. And that others will partake in the marriage supper too and call everybody to the marriage supper and hope they come dressed appropriately for the marriage supper of the Lamb of God. But I bet you we'll all be barefoot. Amen. Praise God. I bet you we'll all be barefoot at the marriage supper of the Lamb of God. We have on white robes. We have white robes waiting for us. White robes are being prepared for us. We are being fitted even in heaven now. We are being fitted for our white robes. It is so close. It is so close. And I know Brittany is especially waiting to ride a white horse. Amen. Praise God. That day is coming. Let's read about it in Revelation 19. Revelation 19, verse 1. Praise the Lord Jesus. Praise God. Revelation 19. Revelation 19, verse 1. verse 1 says and after these things I heard something like a loud voice of a great number of people the way it should say there a great multitude of people in heaven saying El Eluji is what it should say there El Eluji is all capital letters E-L and then another E-L U-J-E E-L E-L-U-J-E, El-Eluji. That means praise G. That is the uh, old, original, pale Hebrew way of pronouncing praise G, praise Jesus. So there's a great number of people, a great multitude of people in heaven saying, El-Eluji, salvation and glory and power belong to our Theos. Because his judgments are true and righteous. For he has judged the great harlot who was corrupting the earth, those he that led us astray, false religion that led us astray, who was corrupting the earth of her immorality. And he, Jesus, has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. And a second time they said, Eluji. Her smoke rises up forever and ever, which means to the end of the smoke. The smoke ain't going to rise up forever and ever. Those Greek words mean until the end of term or until, the, until it is done, until it is accomplished. Verse 4, and the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped Theos who sits on the throne, even as Joshua fell down and worshipped. Of 
Christians today need to fall down and worship God. Who sits on the throne, saying, Amen, Eliuchi. And a voice came from the throne saying, Give praises to our Theos. All you, his bondservants, you who fear him, the small and the great. We need to fear the Lord. That is another thing. Major problem today is people don't have fear of the Lord. Once saved, always saved is totally opposite of the fear of the Lord. Once saved, always saved is a feel-good message, totally contrary to the fear of the Lord. Verse 6 says, Then I heard, like the voice of a great multitude, and like the sound of many waters, and the sound of mighty pearls of thunder, saying, Eliluji, praise G, for the Lord our Theos, the Almighty, reigns. Amen. That is worship. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. The Almighty Lord reigns. Praise God. Let us rejoice and be glad, and give the glory to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright, clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. The righteous acts, action, doing things. We are called to good works, it says the righteous acts of the saints. Verse 9. Revelation 19, verse 9. Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of Theos. Then I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, Do not do that, for I am a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship Theos, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat in it was called faithful and true, and in righteousness. He judges and wages war. See, Babylon does not know that Jesus wages war. And his eyes are a flame of fire. He's coming back in war. Jesus ain't coming in peace. He is coming in war to defeat the Islamic powers of this earth. He is coming back in war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many crowns, and he has a name written, which no one knows except for himself. Now that does not mean that we can't know the name by which we must be saved by. Let's say that again. That does not mean and should not be twisted to try to mean that we can't know the name by which we must be saved by. The book of Acts plainly says there's only one name by which man may be saved. And it plainly says what that name is, that it's the name of Jesus. 
Now, his name is G. His name is Jesus. But he does also have a name that is secret, which we cannot find out, which we cannot translate, which is not written down anywhere. Is not in any scroll, in any book, in any Bible, in any manuscript. So it's not talking about the YSWH. Amen. But there is a name that we do know, and that he does tell us his name, and that he does say that we are to proclaim, to preach, and to teach in, and to baptize in, and that name is Jesus. In verse 13, it says, He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, which is symbolic. I don't think he's actually going to come back with a bloody robe. This is symbolic. And his name is called the Word of God. John 1, he is the Word of God. He was with God and he was of God. He came among man to dwell among man. He became flesh. So he has that name also, the Word of God. Theos, the Word of Theos. And the armies which are in heaven talk about us. Talking about us. We are the army of God. Clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword. Amen. The word of God is not dull. The word of God does cut. Amen. The word of God is sharp. People today do not like a sharp word of God. People today want a uh, gentle, dull word. People today want a compromised, watered-down word. They don't like a sharp word. They don't appreciate a sharp word. They become very offended at a sharp word. They will leave and forsake your congregation and never return because of a sharp word of God. But from the mouth of Jesus, even though a lot of people say that no sharp words ever come out of the mouth of Jesus, but from his mouth, from the mouth of Jesus comes a sharp sword, so that with it, with the word of God, he may strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He's not coming to set up a democracy on the earth. Jesus is not coming to set up a democracy on the earth. His government, including his church, is a theocracy. Theocracy. God ruled. Amen. He will rule them with a rod of iron. And he threads, that word thread is a military word, threads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God. For the last 45 days before this, well, including that day, 45 days, 42 to 45 days, he has been pouring out 
his wrath, his anger, and the seven last plagues upon the wicked Islamic and communist nations and those that have not repented yet. The Almighty. It says, He threads the winepress of the fierce wrath of Theos, the Almighty. Theos is the Almighty. Yet Jesus said over and over and over in the book of Revelation, I am the Almighty. By saying that, he says, I am Theos. I am God. I am Almighty, King of Kings. Lord of Lords, it says here in this next verse, it says, uh, and on his robe, and on his thigh, talking about the thigh of his robe, this ain't no tattoo on his skin, but talking about the thigh of his clothing, he has a name written. He has it embossed, embossed in his robe. It says, King of kings and Lord of lords. There's got to be a significance in the location of being on the thigh. We need to research that. And verse 17 says, verse 17, and of course that King of Kings and Lord of Lords means that he is God. Who's coming down? Who's coming down from the sky landing on earth on the Mount of Olives and it should cleave in two? Is that a mere human? Or is it God? Is it the Father? Is it the Almighty? It is Jesus. It is all that. Amen. Verse 17. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in the midst of heaven, in mid-heaven, come and assemble to the great supper of God. Talking about a different supper. We just saw the marriage supper, but there's a different supper, a supper of the wicked. And the supper of the wicked is where the wicked people are actually being eaten by the raptor birds. Eaten by the birds. Luke 17, verse 37, talks about that uh, two should be taken, one should be taken out of the field and so forth. And they say, the disciples say, but where, Lord, where should they be taken? And Jesus said, where the carcasses is, where the dead bodies are, there will be uh, eagles or the ravens or the raptors, however you want to translate that. It can be translated as raven or eagle or raptor will be there. So those birds will come. Those birds of prey will come to eat the flesh of the wicked men who perished in that sacrifice of uh, a symbolically, a symbolic sacrifice of of uh, the blood of the wicked people. That nobody will be saved by the blood of the wicked. It is a judgment. It is a punishment. It is the destruction of some wicked people on the earth at that time. But not all people. Some people are meant to survive, even some of the wicked, even some of the rebellious, even some of those that are not yet saved, will survive and not be eaten. Because Ezekiel 39 and Zechariah 14 makes that clear. 
Zechariah 14, Ezekiel 39, talks about that there will be human people still alive during the millennium who are still sinful and still rebellious during a thousand years when Jesus is here on this earth. So it's not over and done with yet. We have to go through the thousand years. There has to be a second resurrection. There has to be another hundred years after that, Isaiah 65, verse 20 says. And then there were great white throne judgment. But then after the great white throne judgment, then comes the lake of fire. Then all wicked people who still unsaved, still rebellious, will be perished, annihilated in the lake of fire, the presence of God. Let's look at one more place in the Bible. Look at the book of Acts 17. Acts 17. Verse 22. Acts 17, verse 22. So Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all aspects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, these stones, I also found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Therefore, while you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you, that the God of Theos, who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, since he is the Almighty, does not dwell in temples made with hands that should not be twisted out of context, that should not never be used to say we can't have a ministry building or a church building. We need shelter from the wind and the rain. This is not a temple. It is only a church building. It is only a sanctuary. But it's still holy ground. It is still a house of God. But it's not a temple. Verse 25. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Again, that should not be taken out of context. That should not be taken out of its true meaning. It should not be twisted to say that we can't worship God with our hands. But rather it means that he doesn't need to be fed like they were trying to feed the stones. He doesn't need to be fed like we feed our animals. But he is God. He is almighty. He is in control. Since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. He is the provider of the food. Verse 26. And he made from one, Adam, every nation, every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the the boundaries of their habitation. That shows how powerful God is. 
that he is almighty, that he is all-powerful, because before the foundations of the world, he knew and destined, programmed it out to be, come like this, that you would live where you live, the neighborhood you live in, the house you live in. All this was predetermined. That he determines even the boundaries of your habitation. Verse 27, that they would seek God also that people would want to know their Father even as it is human nature if a person is adopted as a child and never knew their father, eventually they grow up, they want to meet their father or their mother. They want to meet their real parents. And that is instilled within us, that we want to know our true parents. And so he instilled that within us also, that even if it's only in our time of trouble, even if it is, on the deathbed, that eventually almost everybody seeks God sooner or later. But some people still don't find the way yet because there's meant to be two resurrections. And there's all kinds of traps and snares and temptations. But God has made a way. God has made a way. And his plan is perfect and so much more far accomplishing than what we've been taught by Babylon. Amen. And it says here that they would seek God, if perhaps that they might even group for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. For in him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said, for we also are his children. Being then the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone or an image formed by the art and thought of man. Therefore, having overlooked times of ignorance, God feels is now declaring to men that all, everywhere, should repent, should turn back to him. He wants us to seek him. Because he has fixed a day, he has determined a day, a appointed time in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, through his own body, through his own flesh, through his own appearance. Amen. Jesus Christ, having furnished proof, proof to all men, by raising him from the dead. Proof that he is God. Now even Lazarus, when he had been resurrected, eventually died again. Lazarus only escaped death temporarily. But Jesus is the only one so far, that has been resurrected, that is still alive. 
because he's not mere human. And this is the proof. Amen. Three days and three nights proof. Three days and three nights and no more. That is proof. Amen. By raising him from the dead. Amen. He is God. He is just. He is in control. He is God Almighty. Well, that is what the Father in Jesus' name has bestowed upon us today and guided, guided and led us in. And I appreciate you listening. Thank you for tuning in. I encourage you to send a link to this broadcast to anyone that you may think would be willing to listen. You can go to TalkShoe.com or even I Saw the Light Ministries and look for the link to today's broadcast and send that an email to anybody you think may be willing to listen. And we are here every seventh day, Saturday, every week. And for those that may be in East Tennessee, we start services at 1.30 every Saturday. But for the broadcast, the broadcast starts at 2 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time every Saturday. I encourage you to read the Scriptures pray, to fast, to seek, to worship God, to study the Bible, and to grow in his spirit, his truth, and his will. And all this, in Jesus' name, so be. Amen.
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.